are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Let me, let, me, let me talk with you for a few minutes this morning. I think every person, every, uh, every church, every organization comes to a place in your life where you say, so what is our, what is our reason? What is our cause? What is our mission? So this church has been here for over 107 years. And I think over time you have to ask yourself again, now what is our cause? What's our reason for existence? What's our mission? What's our purpose? And, and we've been using language like this lately based on Jesus' commission to us to go make disciples and baptize them and then teach them. Everything that I've commanded you. And we've been saying it like this. We are passionate about becoming more like Jesus and helping people come to know Jesus. So that we can help them become like Jesus. That's, that's our cause. That's where our heart beats. I think a second question you have to ask is, so how do we behave? And so we've been using this kind of language. Well, we value being with God. We value being with one another, other believers. We really value being with people who aren't Christian and loving them. And we value living generously. Now, I think a third question that you have to ask is, and so what do we do in everyday life? How does that look in everyday life? And we say, well, we believe it's important to come together like this in worship. That's an important practice for us. And we believe one-on-one time with God is really, really, really important. Personal, daily prayer and Bible reading. We believe participating in some kind of group life is really important. We grow best in the context of community. We believe that sharing our faith is really important. Serving with abandon and sharing our resources. And so, what we're going to do in the month of January here in 2017 is talk about that fourth value of living generously, sharing of our resources and serving with abandon. We're going to do that throughout this month, okay? So I want to focus this morning particularly on sharing our resources, and I want to talk to you some about this idea of tithing. Now, every December, we come to this place of realizing that we close our financial year in December, and we raise more money in December than any other month, so we kind of come into the month behind. And we talk to you about that, And this December was different than any other we'd ever experienced. The numbers are so big, I almost hate to mention them because they don't look at all like my home budget. I can't relate to them. But we came to the end of December needing $970,000, almost a million dollars. And I begin to say to people, the reason we are behind is because of the state of the economy in Oklahoma due to the energy industry. But God began to remind me that that's not the issue. And then I began to say the real issue is a lack of commitment to financial support of the work of God among the followers of Jesus. That's the real issue. And I'm just going to be as open, honest, transparent as I can be. My faith was not very strong. We had frozen $300,000 in the budget, and so we needed $670,000 just to finish in the black. 
And that's really what I was hoping we could do. But we did better than the $670,000. Actually, we did better than the $970,000. In the month of December, I sat in a staff meeting on Monday. I watched staff members weep around the table and try to talk through their tears, not hardly able to believe what God had done through your generosity. Talk about living generously. Because in the month of December, you gave $250,000 above budget, $1.2,023,000. And I think we should celebrate God's blessings on us. It's, it's overwhelming. Um, it's, about, it's about obedience. It's about faithfulness. It's about participating. And the reason sometimes I hate giving big numbers is because I think about how little Annette and I give toward that big number. And, and the people who are able to give big gifts would be quick to say, if only the people who could give big gifts gave, we would never reach it. And it's, and it's because everybody participates. That's why we reach the goal. Um, it's about being generous is what it's about. And I'm thankful. For, for all of you in, in your faithfulness. So uh, let, me, let me talk about tithes and offerings for a moment. So, so when Sarah said the ushers are coming a moment ago, you might have heard her say they will come and accept our tithes and offerings. So offerings are something that I give to like missions or that I give to like Southern Nazarene University or that I give to the ministry at Two Lakes or that I give other places like that. But tithe is very different than offerings. Tithe is 10% of what I earn. So let me give you a verse in the Bible. This is not the text. I'll just quote it to you. But in the book of Leviticus, chapter 27, verse 30, here's what God says to the people of Israel. Okay, he says, a tenth, now that's 10%, that's called a tithe. He says a tithe, meaning tenth, that's what the word means, okay, tenth. He says a tithe, meaning tenth. I remember a few weeks ago I got confused and said a tithe is actually 1%. Well, that was not correct, okay? You all laughed at me and I made a big mistake. Uh, we are not running a sale on tithe this month, okay? It's 10%, no matter what I said before. But, but, but God says a tithe of everything that comes from the land whether the grain of the soil or the fruit of the trees belongs to God. You realize it's a society where the currency of cash and coin was not dominant. They traded many things. And so, so the, the temple was actually built in a way that it had a storehouse where you could bring your grain actually to the temple and drop it off at the temple. That's how you gave your offering or you could bring livestock. So if you raise cows, every tenth cow you gave to God. Now you know where the term holy cow comes from. You've wondered all these years and that's it. But that's how it worked. Now the next line, the next line was interesting to me because here's what it's saying. I don't, I don't have a lot of grain to bring and set up on the platform and I didn't bring any cows in today. So I brought cash. And so if I try to translate that, it would be like this. If you earn one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars, God was saying to the people of Israel in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, he was saying one of those dollars, one tenth of those, one of those belongs to God. Now the next line really interests me. Here's what he says, and it is holy unto the Lord. 
Now that changes it for me. He doesn't say that these nine are holy unto the Lord. He says that this one is different now than these nine. And it is holy unto the Lord. And it makes me really pause to think about, well, then how, how do I treat this one differently than how I treat these? Okay? So, invariably, when I talk about tithe, someone, after the service or in an email next week, is going to say to me, Pastor Rick, you talked about tithe. You do know, don't you, that that is Old Testament law, Right? And we don't live under Old Testament law, Pastor Rick. You do realize, don't you, that we live under New Testament grace. And those are very different, right, Pastor Rick? Let, let, me, let me talk to you about that for a moment. And throughout the sermon, we'll talk about that. When Jesus points to the Old Testament law, under the covenant of grace, He always, 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 always gives us yet a higher standard. Okay? So when Jesus points to the Old Testament law under the New Testament covenant of grace, and we'll talk about this in great detail, He always gives us a higher standard. Let me give you an example of one of those standards, and you can open your Bible with me, okay, to the book of Luke, chapter 11, verse 42. I'm only going to read this one verse, Luke 11, chapter 42, and this is one of those many examples, all right? Now, I'll give you the context in a few moments, so don't get nervous saying, I don't know what's going on here, because I'm only reading one verse kind of out of context. We will talk about the context, but here's what, here's what the Word of God says in Luke eleven forty-two: Woe to you Pharisees! It's one of the first of four woes in this immediate section. Okay, whoa! All right? Because you give God a tenth of your mint and rue and all other kinds of garden herbs. I hope you're getting the picture here, okay? So a garden herb, you got this little bitty, little bitty, little bitty amount in the palm of your hand of some rue or some mint or something. And he says, you're so careful that you sit down and you divide that out into ten parts and you push this one little bitty speck over here and you say, that belongs to God. So you are so meticulous and so careful to make sure that you tithe exactly. But, he says, you neglect justice. And you neglect to love people like God loves people. The love of God. And what does Jesus say about that? He says you should have been practicing the latter. You should be loving people and showing justice to folks without ever leaving the former undone. Meaning you should have always been supporting with your finances and what you've earned the work of God. And so Jesus points to the law And then he kind of just raises the standard to a little higher. And as you give, you should also treat other people with justice and love. Now, let's talk about the context, okay? I remember going to a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue one day. How many of you have ever gone to a Jewish synagogue? So, seven, eight, ten, maybe, twelve of you? I was invited there by a friend that I made who was Jewish, and he wanted me to come to a celebration of his grandson, and so I went. 
And after the celebration, there was a meal there in the synagogue. And uh, so when you go in a synagogue, you wear a, a yarmulke. It's a small cap on your skull. I did not own a yarmulke. And so when I walked in, the Jewish people there were gracious enough to let me borrow one. Interestingly, the one they let me borrow was royal blue. Everybody else had on a black one, okay? So me and my friend Richard, we had on royal blue yarmulkes. It was pretty apparent who the Gentiles in the room were, okay? And there were hundreds of people there. And, and I noticed that several people said to me, when we went into the room to eat, they said to me, uh, be sure you wash. And I said, okay. And finally, another little older lady came to me and she goes, uh, you can wash right before you eat. And she smiled and I said, okay. And this one gentleman, older guy, he grabbed me by the arm and I turned around and he says, be sure to wash. I said, okay. So about five times, my friend Richard and I, with our royal blue yarmulkes standing out as the only Gentiles in the room, we were encouraged over and over again to be sure to wash. And so the basin is right before you go through the buffet line where the food is, and there is this very small stream of water squirting out constantly, okay? So when you say, how big of a stream, like the stream of a water gun? Oh, no, 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 no. Much, much more minute than that. A stream so small that you could barely see it was water squirting. And as everybody walked by, their hands went by it that quickly. And there was a little silk towel and they just touched the towel with their fingertips and then got their food and ate. It's a ceremonial washing. Now, when I was a kid, my dad would say, boys, roll up your sleeves and get your wrists and everything. Lather up with soap. It wasn't like that at all. You simply ran them by and you touched. Your hands did not feel even wet at all. I couldn't feel any water on my hands. Jesus with a group of Pharisees, and he doesn't wash. He skips the washing part. Now, it's not a part of the law of God. It is noted in the Old Testament, and the Jewish elders made it a practice, okay? But it was not law, but they believed that it was important that you do it. It was this external thing that you did in acknowledgement. And so when Jesus didn't do it, the host noticed. And Jesus realized the host noticed that he did not wash, and then Jesus addressed all the Pharisees that he was with. And here's what he said to them. Woe! You Pharisees. And there's a fourfold rebuke. You ready for it? Number one, here we go. Number one, here's what you do. You wash the outside of the cup, but you leave the inside of the cup filthy. Now, he's talking about not only the cup, but he's talking metaphorically about their own lives. Outwardly, you look holy. And outwardly, you look wholesome. But in your heart, there is the filth of greed and your unconcern for the poor. Number two, you are so meticulous that you tithe even the garden herbs this little bitty pile of stuff in the palm of your hand and you separate it out into ten parts and you give God one part, but you lack justice and the love of God. You don't love people like you should. Number three. Now, I love this one because I'm looking around this morning and I love to see this front row filled, this front row is filled. Yeah, you know how much I love you guys for sitting on the front rows. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. Thank you for sitting on the front rows. And I would just say, if you want me to preach better, just come closer to the front, okay? Just everybody move in. The sermons will get better. I love people sitting down front. I love you guys all sitting over here. But he said to the Pharisees, you want the front seats. Some that faced the congregation and some that faced the front 
The main point was you could be seen if you were on the front. And he said, this is hypocrisy. And this is greed. And this is pride. And the fourth rebuke was that you have become death to people instead of life. You've kept them from God instead of helping them to God. Your hearts have become hard. And although on the outside you look like very religious, righteous, holy people, inwardly you are filled with hypocrisy and greed and pride. This is why we're talking about it today. Because some of you are looking at me saying, Rick, might go to church every Sunday. I might even give them a bump when the offering plate goes by. I might even volunteer in ministry somewhere. But there's some real problems in my heart. I got some sin. I've got some issues. I think I know what it's like to be a Pharisee. Um, I have a friend who went to a very conservative college. So, you, you have an idea of what I mean when I say conservative? Like, um, really, really conservative. Like, they focus on external things a lot. Meaning like whether or not a woman would wear makeup on her face or not. And definitely not lipstick. Or whether a man would wear a wedding band. Is he being flashy and trying to show off jewelry? Uh, they would say all those things were not good. Uh, they would say women could not wear men's clothing, meaning only skirts um, and no jewelry or anything like that. Uh, they, they were really focused on external things and they saw that as a way to honor God and the path toward holiness. Okay, In fact... In fact, he told me about one time when, when a pastor came and interviewed to possibly become the pastor of their church, they asked him, does your wife wear a gown to bed or does she wear pajama pants? Because if she wears pajama pants, that's kind of like men's clothing. And when he finally confessed that my wife does wear pajama pants, they asked, well, then do they button in front or, they, or do they button on the side? And when, when he said they buttoned on the side, they were relieved, thinking, well, maybe those were women's pajama pants, and it's okay. So he says, one day I'm in class, and I raised my hand, and I kind of challenged my professor about, do you think we have focused so much on these externals, and we failed to focus on our hearts? And does it really matter if a woman wears a pair of pants or not? And he said, I realized I'd made my professor very upset. And when I was leaving the class, I was walking toward my car. And I opened my car door, and I heard my last name. And so I turned around, and it was my professor coming toward me at a pretty fast pace. And I'm leaning up against the passenger door of my car, and this door is open. And he says to me, I don't want you to question our holiness any longer like you are. You're being detrimental to what we're doing. And finally, he says, I found myself with his hand on my shirt, like this, pushed me up against my car, and he's yelling things at me that my mother would have never let me said words that I couldn't have said. And he finally said, don't ever question my view of holiness again. You know, that's an isolated case. Everybody who is more focused on externals is not like that. 
But Jesus realizes for the Pharisees, this is where it could go. It could turn into legalism and hypocrisy. And it could take you down the wrong path. This is where it could potentially lead you. Now let me try to defend the Pharisees for just a moment. In their minds, here's what they're saying. We are going to go to great lengths to give this oral tradition of the law. And and what we want to do is to be as strict as we can be. In fact, they were among the most strict religious Jewish sects. And their idea was that if we can help the people of Israel keep the law, then Israel can become holy and then the kingdom of God will come. But in all of their focus on the rules, their hearts became hard. And they, and they forgot to care about people as Jesus had called them, as God had called them to do. So, so that's, that's huge. So when we talk about giving today, that, that's so important, okay? So where's your heart? I'm playing golf with a guy one day who attends the church. And you understand like in, in, in golf, like there's this other language that people speak that make no sense to anybody else. Do you understand that? So all of you don't play golf, but some of you do. And just, I play with a group of guys and, and there's one guy that I play with who is seated you know, over in that area somewhere, and he has the most unique lines ever. So if he hits a ball and he kind of tops it a little bit, and it kind of is a runner, he'll say, run like you stole something. And I know you never say that anywhere else in life, but he says that. Or he'll have a really bad swing, and he'll say, that swing looked like somebody fighting snakes in a phone booth. Okay, so it's that, that kind of thing. So when you're playing golf, if you hit the ball into the trees, and somehow it hits a tree and kicks back out into the fairway, you might say something like, oh, you must be living right. You know, something like that. So I'm playing golf with this guy in my church. And, and he hits the ball into the trees, kicks out into the fairway. And I said to him, boy, you must have your tithe paid up. <laughs> so about three holes later, we're on the tee box. And he kind of walks over to me. And he says, Pastor. I said, yeah. He says, I'm going to do better. I said, you're going to what? He says, I'm going to do better with my tithe. You mentioned my tithe earlier. I'm going to do better. <laughs> I said, well, oh, no, I have no idea about your tithe. I, I've never looked at what you give. I don't know that. You know, and, no, that's, I was just saying it because it, we say stupid stuff when we play golf. That's all it was about. <laughs> now, now, if your motivation for giving is so that the pastor will think more of you, you need a different set of motivation, Okay. That's not good motivation. So let me take these next couple of minutes and talk about heart and motivation and everything else. So if you say to me, Pastor Rick, we're not under the law, we're under the grace. And, and so when you look at tithing, okay, that's law. The last time I looked, adultery was law. The last time I checked, murder was law. So I don't think you would say to me today, I'm okay if my spouse commits adultery on me because we're under grace. Or I'm okay if somebody murders a loved one of mine because we're all under the covenant of grace now. There is no way in the world that I can say to you, let me pick parts of this book that have no meaning for us and doesn't matter. We should just start ripping stuff out. 
It would have been funny if I would have fallen right then because I didn't intend to go down on that step at all. Here's what I think we ask instead. We have some really good scholarly help all around us. And we can answer this question. What did the Bible mean to them? When God said these words, what did it mean? And I think we can figure that out pretty well these days. But I think the question we ask of ourselves is, so what does it mean to us? And how do we apply those principles to our everyday lives? It's always the challenge of interpreting Scripture. I know what it means. I know what was meant when it was said. I know what it meant to them. But I'm living in 2016 and 17 in the United States of America. And the question is, what does God say to me through His Word today? And what principle do I take to my life? And I don't know how in the world you can miss this. Because what I see in that principle is that God calls His people to support His work through their financial means in a portion with which they earn money. I mean, how can you miss that? I mean, there is an underlying principle here. And the underlying principle is simply this, that God fully expects His people to support His work in proportion with what they earn. So, when Jesus points to the law, he always sets a little higher standard. So let me give you some examples. Um, He says, you have heard it was said, or it is written, you should not commit adultery. Okay, there's the law. What does Jesus do? He points to higher standards. But I say to you that if you look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. You with me? It is written you should not murder. But I say to you, there's a higher standard with Jesus. And it always goes to the heart and to motivation and to what's inside a person's heart. But I say to you that if you are angry with your brother, when it comes to this idea of what we have, like money and possessions, It's not a matter of just saying that a tenth of that belongs to God and it's holy. The idea is that everything belongs to God. And you are only a steward. And now what you have the responsibility of doing is managing what is God's. And so if I take this right here and I say, you know what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It is mine. I can do with this whatever I want to because it is my money. Jesus would say, no, it's not. That is God's money. And you have been given the ultimate responsibility of being the steward, the manager of God's resources. Now we're talking about the attitude with which I deal with money. What's in my heart? Is is this my money? Or is this God's money? And He has entrusted me to manage His money. Okay, there's, there's good news here, all right? And the good news is that God would only ever call you to do what is good for you. God will only ever call you to do what is good for you. God, God is not a God in heaven who sets up and says, Okay, 
Um, how can I make Heath's life miserable today? I think I'll just tax Heath. No. That's not God. God is love. God is mercy. God is grace. God is good. So, Annette and I raised these two girls, Brittany and Morgan, and we would go out of town a good bit without them, and uh, and sometimes out of the country. Uh, and 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 they finally, you know, in high school, they got driver's license, and and they finally approached us and said, "Listen, this this whole thing of you bringing somebody in to stay with us, we think we're beyond that. All right." So if you got to go out of town, we understand, but don't don't move somebody in our house and just, you know, we'll be good, all of that. Just don't, you know, we'll, we'll be fine. We can drive ourselves. We're, you know, we're okay. And so we thought, we thought, yeah, that makes sense. We're okay with that. But often before we would go, I would give them a list. And on the list, there were things that they should do while we were gone, and there were things that they should not do while we were gone. Now, why did I give them the list? Because I didn't want them to have any fun while I was gone. No. Because I wanted them to have the best life possible. And I didn't want them to run their life on the one week that I was out of the country. And so I would say there are things that you should do that's going to make your life good while we're gone. And there's some things that you should not do. And that will make your life good while we're gone. So just suppose. Suppose, suppose. Just imagine with me, okay? You got your imaginations ready. What if... I came home, and I looked around a little bit, and I just kind of started sniffing around, and I said, Hey, Brittany, what about the list? And Brittany says, Dad, awesome list. And I said, What? And she goes, Best list you've ever left us. We love the list. What do you mean you love the list? We love the list so much, Dad, that I memorized most of it. You memorized the list? Yeah. And you know how much Morgan loves music, Dad? Yeah, she wrote songs about the list. Morgan wrote some songs about the list. Yes, and we've been singing them all week. It's awesome. We're going to teach you some of the songs. The other night, Dad, guess what happened? Some friends came over and we studied the list together. You memorized the list? You sung songs about the list. You studied the list. And I look into the eyes of my little Brittany and I say, Brittany, but if you don't apply the list to your everyday life, you'll never know the blessings this list can bring. Great book. such a great book, sometimes I memorize parts of the book. You know? This morning we sung a bunch of songs that people wrote about the book. This morning and throughout the week, many of us will get in small groups and we'll study the book. But the Father says, if you don't apply the book to your everyday life, you'll never know the blessings the book can bring. When I give, 
God uses it to make me less greedy. Can you imagine living all of your life and saying, you know, everything that God gave me, all that we earned, everything that God provided, everything, we just spent it on us. We were never generous. We never cared about the work of God or really anybody else when it came to our resources. It was just all for us. And to leave the world thinking, everything that he gave me, I just spent it on me. Here's what you got to understand. In Jesus' harsh words with the Pharisees, do you think Jesus ever said, I can't stand the Pharisees. I hate Pharisees. No. Jesus loved the Pharisees. And his stern warning was not because he didn't like them. His stern warning was because he loved them. And you guys are living this life, and there's a much better life waiting for you. And that's the life I want you to have. A generous life is a great life. Agree? That was kind of weak. You do agree, don't you? Yeah. Well, we need grace to live this life, don't we? Okay. So those of you who are going to serve us, will you stand and come? And uh, we'll receive His grace this morning as we celebrate the gift of His body and blood together. And let's all stand together as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper. In the Church of the Nazarene and in our local church here, we practice open communion, meaning that you do not have to be a member of this church to participate. But what is required is that you're sincerely seeking Jesus as you do. And if you feel like you're not in a place in your life where that you can say that, then, then it's okay to let the elements pass you by. Nobody is judging you for whatever reason you feel. Don't feel like you must do this with us. But for those of you who are comfortable in doing so, accept the cup as it comes. And there will be two cups. The bread is in the lower cup. You can empty that into your hand. And then hold it until everybody has been served. And we will eat and we will drink together.
So let's receive his grace together. When Jesus was with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Take it and eat it. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, my blood of the new covenant. Drink it, all of you, and be thankful. you go now into this week knowing that you have a Savior who loves you and knows you, would you give back to him with all that you have and all that you are? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength, and love others as yourself. You are dismissed. See you next week. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.